0: Playback on RTE Radio 1. Sponsored by Panadol. Panadol made in Ireland. Contains paracetamol. Always read the label and leaflet.
1: Good morning. Budget 23. All that you had hoped for and more? Well, certainly at 11 billion euro and change, it was a biggin'. But would it be big enough?
2: It's amazing how many people you can disappoint with 11
3: billion euro, if you on
2: Yeah, I mean, it, it's an unprecedented amount of money being been spent here. So you know, the money has to be gone to to somebody uh, ultimately. You you'd look at this budget and say it's 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 visible but not visionary. A lot of the the money is effectively been been thrown at a wall. Uh, Of inflation, interest rates, and electricity price hikes, and hoping that it'll be enough to get to help people get through the next six months.
1: Fiona Sheehan of the Irish Independent with Cormac, and a similar tone from economics correspondent Robert Short with Audrey on Morning Ireland. So these figures of 11 billion, but the 4 billion specifically for cost of living measures, hopefully that that will help a lot of people to pay their bills and to get through these next number of months. But with inflation going up, Robert, I suppose that the question is how long will these measures have an impact?
4: Yeah, and, you know, this isn't about the one-off measures, but you've already seen uh, cr- a criticism uh, from Social Justice Ireland about the reported uh, €12 euro a week increase in the weekly social welfare payments because, you know, that's probably in and around 6 6.5% and the overall inflation for this year could be as high as 8%. So try as the government might, um, all of these various measures... They're just not going to keep up with the pace of inflation that we're seeing now. It will go some way towards it, but it's not going to fully compensate for what we're seeing in terms of inflation.
1: And that was the refrain, or as Conor Pope with Ray put it.
4: At the end of the day, we're all going to go to bed still considerably
5: worse off than we were as a result of the cost of living spiral.
1: Might we need a bigger boat? But whatever way you parse it, it was quite the sum. On budget night, from Boswell's Hotel, within spitting distance of the doll. Late debate brought us this overview from Ian Q, editor of the Currency. And for Katie, was this a case of finance ministers gone wild?
0: It is, by any stretch of the imagination, an extraordinary budget. Um, just in terms, at least, of the scale of the spending outlined by two ministers who would have prided themselves on, I would have thought, prudence and oh.
6: uh, restraint.
7: Without a doubt. I mean, if you look at their their motif over the last five, six years, whether they were in opposition or in government, it's all been about fiscal prudence. Uh, and I remember being on this show last year, Katie, and you were asking what was the kind of the motif of the budget? And I was talking about gradual incrementalism. Well, this is completely an etma of that. I mean, eleven billion euro, seven billion euro baked in, by the way, seven billion baked in to the public expenditure in in future years, just four billion on the other side. I mean, it's really hard to kind of comprehend the scale of the numbers. Obviously, this budget has been framed by the cost of living crisis to try and help people. but I think it's also been framed by politics as well, where the government have come out and said, We're being outflanked by Sinn Féin. We need to be seen to do something. And a lot of the numbers that the government come out with are actually quite similar to the numbers that Sinn Féin were proposing in their own pre-election pledges. So it's a budget that's framed by that sort of populism, that sort of politics, but also in addition, like the extraordinary sums of money that have gone into the the new rebranded rainy day fund. This is a budget that has been brought to you by Apple and Abvi. I mean, this has been entirely funded by massive sums coming from corporation tax. And those two names that I give, and I, d- I don't say that in jest, they are two of the five largest taxpayers in the country.
0: Therein, of mm-hmm. course, lies the risks,
7: because At, and, and that's the con- that's should we get used to this? No, we, we clearly can't get yeah. used to And that's the consolidation that people have been talking about and the concentration risk that people have been talking about for some time.
1: Lovely, beholden to those big corporations it seems. And yesterday, inflation across the euro was estimated to have risen to double digits for the first time. More fun and games. Here's economics correspondent Robert Short with Brian. Brace yourself.
4: The energy crisis is biting hard and it's biting into inflation and it's feeding into food inflation and, as I mentioned there, uh, uh, core inflation when you strip out the food and energy. And that's really, I think, what will uh, worry the ECB.
7: Which, in turn, will lead to, quite likely, further increases in in mortgage and borrowing costs. And just to really cheer us up, consumers here can expect uh, to to start paying yet yet more for electricity from tomorrow.
4: Yeah, I'm afraid uh, tomorrow's D-Day for the next... um, a uh, round of increases in utility bills which had been previously announced so both electric ireland uh, sse and many of the other providers as well they're all planning to increase their rates again uh, some from tomorrow some from next week some from later in the month and and the the scale of the increases are you know are shocking given that they come uh, off the back of of other increases over the course of the last year so I mean you'd need a PhD in utility bills to work this out but roughly I reckon you're looking at after the price increases that will kick in tomorrow you're looking at an average electricity bill for a year of about €2,000 Euro, an average gas bill of about €2,000 Euro. so those um, electricity uh, credits that are coming um, that were announced in the budget um, they'll never be needed as much as they will this winter.
8: Robert Short, I can always correspond and thanks for that.
1: He said through gritted teeth but if we are up against it here in Ireland with everything that is going on would it be wrong entirely to look across the water and think phew, a mini budget last week which sent markets do lally as the economists like to say Here's Rachel on Morning Ireland with George Parker of the Financial Times.
0: George, it's hard to know where to
9: begin, but the serious trouble began last Friday. Why?
4: Well, we had a so-called mini-budget by um, the new Chancellor, Kwasi Kwasi, which turned out to be one of the biggest budgets we'd ever seen. Conveniently, because it wasn't a formal budget, that meant they didn't have to publish any forecasts explaining what this was going to mean in terms of patching up all the borrowing they announced. And that in turn spooked the markets because uh, £45 billion pounds of unfunded tax cuts were announced. The government didn't say whether, how they were going to get the money back. The markets panicked. The pounds started falling. The cost of government, government borrowing started spiking. Uh, there was complete turmoil. And in the end, we saw the Bank of England having to intervene yesterday with this massive £65 billion pound package of bond buying, which is essentially the, government, the Bank of England bailing out the British government for a mistake itself had made. So it's been a fairly extraordinary... Three or four
9: days. Mm, and I think as, as we know only too well in this country, when the news bulletins are talking about government bonds, um, it's a good indication that you're in <laughs> trouble.
1: With a capital T. And the word that kept cropping up this week was turmoil. And the actions of the UK drew a very public chastisement from the IMF to get their abacus in order. On the News at One, Brian put this to former Deputy Director General of the IMF, Donald Donovan. Just how
7: unusual in tone and content is a statement like that uh, from the IMF? Yes,
10: I think it is quite unusual. Uh, in the past, the IMF has well, expressed concerns at various stages about some aspects of countries' policies. However, the language is usually fairly nuanced. However, I would say in this case, the immediacy and the directness of this criticism, which was made in a very publicised way, is unprecedented, yes.
1: So in a world, frankly, already wobbly on its feet, was there a danger that all of this instability might spread?
10: I mean, the UK is only one country, but obviously its impact on Europe and to some extent outside um, is significant. Um, By itself, I think the damage can be contained. But of course, if people started getting nervous about some other countries, maybe not the same uh, policy problems as the UK, but maybe other problems, and you can think of one or two in Europe that might be like that, you could set off. A little bit of a wave of, of a wave of general concern, lack of confidence, and indeed, we did see that in the two thousand and ten euro crisis. Though there, I think um, a number of countries, including our own, had um, you know deep underlying problems. Um, the UK has these problems, but there may be not too many others in quite the same position.
1: Well, on Thursday morning, Prime Minister Liz Truss went on local radio.
11: Since Friday, since your Chancellor, Kwasi Kwarteng's mini budget, the pound has dropped to a record low. The IMF has said that you should reevaluate your policies, and the Bank of England has had to spend £65 billion to prop up the markets because of what they describe as a material risk. Where have you been? Well, I think we've got to remember the situation we were facing this winter. A couple of people have said to me here in Nottingham, this is like a reverse Robin Hood. That, that, that simply isn't true. Which bit By of far it? the biggest Which part bit of the, of the mini... Well... That the, the tax the cuts are disproportionately
1: benefiting the
0: wealthiest.
1: Ooh, a cringe fest. Drive Time offered its sympathies to former Conservative MP and columnist Matthew Paris.
10: I'm not a Liz Truss fan, but I actually began to feel sorry for her. She just doesn't seem to be equipped to deal with critical or, or hostile questionings. Some of the silences were painful. Oh my
6: God, Matthew, I'm beginning to feel sorry for the lot of you over there.
10: <laughs> yes,
6: I mean, this you, is may, all...
10: you may well.
12: This but is all her I... own doing, though.
10: Oh, it's, it's fine for me, you know. I, I, I earn quite well. Uh, the, the better off in Britain are, are fine. It's everybody else. I, I don't know what is going to happen, but it, this, this can't be sustained.
1: Or can it? Because the substantive question seems to be whether she will, as she has said, stick to this mini-budget. She seems intent on doing so. Claire asked this of Peter Foster of the Financial Times. Are there many who believe that this
0: strategy can work, that they're vindicated?
13: Well, I mean, you know, there's a political thing here and an economic thing. I think, think, you know, some MPs feel that the government has to stick with it because it would be a humiliating U-turn. But fundamentally, the markets say that the government has one of three choices. It can either do a U-turn on the package it announced last Friday that's caused all this market... Instability force the Bank of England to intervene, to pop up pension funds, £65 billion intervention. Or it can announce spending cuts in order to balance the books, and that itself is obviously politically unpalatable. Or it can allow the Bank of England to significantly hike interest rates, but that feeds into mortgage and corporate debt, also deeply uncomfortable. So, you know, the government is in a real three-way bind here. It's mm-hmm. in a pickle.
1: And lest we get too smog... All of this will impact here. Claire asked RTE business journalist Adam Maguire about the fallout from weaker sterling. So for businesses then weaker sterling
0: how does that impact businesses?
8: It's probably not really good news it, it, it might mean that uh, the imports are a bit cheaper from the UK but of course again uh, you know Brexit means that all these charges are applied so maybe you're not really making any kind of saving and even where it does make sense now for a company to buy from the UK because sterling is cheaper it could be bad news for an Irish producer because it could be displacing their sales so someone bought from the UK instead of buying from Ireland. And those Irish producers might be hit on the double because they're now having a harder time selling to the UK because the reverse of what we're talking about is true for them. Suddenly, for UK customers buying Irish goods, things have gotten 7-8% more uh, more expensive. Uh, the same applies for a, a, for a consumer. An Irish person going on a weekend to the UK might find it's a little bit cheaper but a British resident who's thinking of travelling to Ireland is now seeing everything is slightly more expensive. You know, their their flights are more expensive, their hotel, their meals. So they might spend a little bit less when they're here or they could put the trip off altogether if it, if it you know, becomes, it becomes a little bit more expensive. And again, for the Irish economy, the fact that it's cheaper for Irish people to go to the UK is bad news because they might decide to go to London rather than going to Limerick which means their, their money is being spent somewhere else rather than the domestic economy so potentially bad news and for shopping as well of course if you're going to go to Newry rather than uh, Dundalk to do your Christmas shopping if it's 15 10% cheaper that's going to make yeah, big impact yeah could
0: too. be a tough run up to christmas for the the traders in the republic who are just on the border you know where exactly. r- we'll really and, yeah, have an impact. And, the,
8: and the worse sterling gets the, the 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 more compelling going across the border is going to be for shoppers
1: oh my adam maguire with claire back in a bit welcome back There was a lot this week on the radio about children in the care of the state. And when Budget 23 didn't include any increase in weekly payment to foster carers, despite not having had an increase in 13 years, callers to Liveline were very angry and very upset. It started with Catherine on Wednesday.
9: I sat and listened to the budget with such great upset. You know, by the time the evening came... our our messaging groups were full of sadness. Sadness for the children in our care. I don't think people realise the higher needs that traumatised children coming into care need and they're not being recognised. You know, there's a perception there that we're paid a wage to raise these children, the state's most vulnerable children. Mm -hmm. Currently, 5,841 children are in foster care in Ireland. So there is an appreciation that it's a wage. If you break it down as a wage, we're paid one ninety three per hour. Okay. These children, that allowance, we receive an allowance towards the raising of the children. That has to cover access visits, birth parent presence, all the living, daily living needs of a child, food, mm. clothing, school uniforms, extracurricular activities, pocket money. Foster carers don't want to talk about money. We're ridiculed when we do, but if we, what we want to get we want to have enough allowance so that we have enough money to raise the children, we understand the ultimate goal of fostering is to return children to their family of birth, but until then, we want to give them everything that their birth family oh, yeah. wish for them.
1: Now the current payment stands at three hundred and twenty five euros per week for a child under twelve and three hundred and fifty two euro per week for older children and foster carers are not always eligible for the kinds of supports you might expect.
9: Replies will come back from ministers that you're entitled to the back-to-school allowance, the free books, the um, children's allowance. You know, a lot of foster carers don't receive the children's allowance because the children have to be in their care for over six months. So children are coming in and out of care. There's no foster care that will be in receipt of that children's
5: allowance. That's interesting. What about back to school back to school allowance?
9: No, we're ineligible for back to school allowance completely. Because the allowance that we're paid to raise the children is paid for all living costs.
1: Three fifty a week.
9: Three fifty a week, yeah. It sounds a lot, but break it down.
1: The following day, more foster carers from around the country with depressingly similar stories. Who is Darren? Who's been a foster carer for over ten years?
14: We had a child in care, and the child was doing was was finished fifth year, and during the summer got a job, right? And was playing soccer. Okay. We were traveling an hour each way, so we had to bring the child to work, and bring the child home, bring the okay. child to soccer, bring the child home. We were doing eleven hundred kilometers a week, so. It's easy for, for Minister McGrath to talk about go to Tusla. I I went to the social worker to look for extra money for all the expenses. Eventually the social worker came back and I have evidence of it to say, "Garden, we have managed to get you an extra fifty euro a week. We were travelling four hours a day, uh, five days a week mm-hmm. and doing eleven hundred kilometers and they insulted the social worker insulted us by offering us 50 euro a week now the social worker actually left so i'm going to i'm going to give you the full story we did go to our new social worker and she was very good and she gave us 175 euro a week which we were happy with
5: to cover the mileage of it to cover the 1100 kilometers
14: 1100 kilometers as i say in general our our experiences have been very good but they are so mealy-mouthed when it comes to trying to look after us.
1: And something that came up again and again in all the calls. While an immensely satisfying thing to do, fostering was not something you got into for the money.
14: I've been threatened in my own house, threatened to have the house burned down. But every one of those placements that came to us, we were kind of doing emergency and short term. We've kept in contact with every one of those kids and they've all done well, despite everything so we have and we, we didn't really look for extra money but I'm just given the overall picture and it's an absolute disgrace that they couldn't they couldn't come up with something better and to say we're doing it for the money is it's worse than an insult
1: also on the line Amy.
9: I've been fostering since I was in my 20s and back then I would have recommended it to everyone and anyone. I would have been shouting it from the rooftops for the joy it brought my family but it's just not feasible at the moment. The financial supports and the therapeutic supports they're the responsibility of the state and they're just not there for our children.
1: And because of their start in life many of the children have difficulties and are troubled. Yesterday Catherine phoned in.
12: I've been doing it for about 14 years, and we've had 14 children of all age groups. We had a a baby that came with um, addicted to heroin. It was born addicted to heroin. And we were minding that to help out. There was another couple minding the baby, and they were struggling. So we used to take the baby for one long weekend every month to give them a break. This baby never slept and rarely stopped crying. And we would walk the floor. It would arrive at 12 o'clock on a Friday until 12 o'clock on the Monday. And we would walk the floor between us here for the whole weekend. And you didn't go outside the door because you couldn't. You couldn't go anywhere with the child because it would constantly cry. Mm -hmm. We had another teenager here a few years ago who went missing. We, she was only here a fortnight when she went missing. We went to the guards and she was gone. She was only 14 years old and she was gone. And the guards were all concerned and everything until about 10 or 15 minutes into the conversation he happened to mention that she was a foster child. And the guard put down his pen and looked down and said, more or less laughed and said, I you know, you may go on home. He said, that's what they do. She'll be back whenever she's ready. And we were basically told to go home and... And it was the weekend. She went missing over Friday evening. There was no social workers, no helpline. Yeah. We walked the length and breadth of the town. My yeah. husband drove the length and breadth of the country, ringing and ringing and ringing. I walked the floor here. I never slept a wink. I had visions of how I was going to tell this girl's mother that she was gone or yeah. that somebody had kidnapped her. Or I never yeah. ate and I never slept the whole weekend. So the responsibility... That you're taken on if anything happens to anybody else's children. Do you know what I mean? It's it, it's so wearing on your nerves, on your health, on your relationship. No money would pay you yeah. for yeah. what you take on.
1: And here's Orla who'd emailed into the programme at two o'clock in the morning.
5: How 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 difficult is it for foster parents at the moment?
12: It's terrible. I'm, I'm sorry, it's really a little bit emotional. Um, I I absolutely love these kids, but we just want some support. We just want to be recognised. We don't want to be unheard or unseen anymore. These kids are, they're incredible, resilient kids. But in order for us to give them what they need, we have to be okay in ourselves as well.
1: And yesterday, in response to those voices, a joint statement from Tusla and the Minister for Children, Equality, Disability, Integration and Youth and the Minister for Public Expenditure and Reform, saying that they would work over the coming month to make some support available to foster carers, as has been done for other groups. And there were other stories on the radio that touched on the issue of children in care. Children who would become adults and try to make their way in the world. With Ryan on Tuesday, Derek Byrne of Way to Work, which helps kids who've been in the care system get a foothold in the workplace.
8: Tell me about the young people that you're dealing with in terms of their you know, their experience in life probably has them a little more fragile, maybe even more vulnerable. And and going into the workplace, not an easy
6: thing to do. No. Uh, a lot of the young people that I would walk with, um, I would say the biggest barrier is confidence. Okay. Self esteem, you go and meet a young person for the first time after being referred, and uh, you sit down. You know, I, I normally bring them for food once you feed them, they normally talk right. <laughs> so, wh- <laughs> what do you mean? When do you bring them for food? So, uh, we'll normally arrange normally you to meet up somewhere cafe, yeah. McDonald's, Burger King, get them something to eat. Okay. normally gets them to relax, you know. Good. But starting off conversations like they're, they're looking at the runners, you know, they're making eye contact, they're going red and so on and so forth i give you an example of a yeah. guy that I met uh, he wouldn't even take uh, a burger or a coke or a coffee off me and we put him in an organisation called Dublin Aerospace and he works on the landing gear mm. and we put him in front of a camera 12 months ago this this guy couldn't look in the eye 12 months later he's sitting there talking about how important his role is and Get like away the, the, I thought I was looking at a different fella but all he was given was an opportunity where he was able to thrive that's all he needed
1: And on Sunday with Miriam, an incredibly impressive woman who had been through the care system and through her own character, and with the right help, had also thrived. Deborah Samoran was living in direct provision, homeless at 13, pregnant at 14. Today, she is a qualified accountant and management consultant with Ernst & Young. Her book is called Believing in Me, and she told Miriam about her mother who had come to Ireland from a bad marriage and suffered from severe depression their relationship was difficult and sometimes violent and she was taken into care at a very young age.
11: Very very young I was 11 first time I went into care and when they did the medical examination then they were able to see the scars and I obviously told them about it as well because I also didn't want to get hit you know um, yeah so it was it was quite a tough situation but but I suppose as a as a mother I understand that it must have hurt her to not have been able to help me when I was pushing those boundaries. I also, I, I just sympathise with her in in terms of what she was going through at that time. And it's not a nice thing to have your child taken from you.
1: And it was a few good people going out of their way to help her that had made all the difference. Because life in the care system was not an easy one.
0: There were bullies, predatory older boys, forced to leave your hostel, I suppose, at 8am every morning. But you also say you were really lucky because you came across some exceptional people, didn't you, Deborah?
11: Yeah, I was very, very lucky. So, you know, even I suppose the first OSHA worker I had, you know, she was incredible. She, um, I still talk to her to this day. She very much tried to support me and, and she really treated me. I remember her so much because she just didn't treat me like another case. You know, she just, she she treated me like I could have been her own child with a lot of empathy um, for the situations I was in and I um, suppose I didn't know what being I, I, I hoped being in care would be the safe option but it didn't always work out that way. And I'm very thankful the people who supported me. So, for example, in the homeless hostel that I first stayed in, a place called Lafroy House, there was this incredible woman, Shelley, there, who let me stay in the charity's office during the day so I didn't have to roam the streets all day. Like, she didn't need to do that. And she'd stay in the evening and call the hostels and get me a place uh, that I could sleep that night. She didn't need to do that and walk me back every single night. So she really saved me at that time because... I don't know For as a 13 year old at that at that point when I was living in homeless hostels, I don't know what would have happened roaming around the streets of Dublin all day. I don't know who I would have come across. And I and I, I remember it was cold as well. And that's that's absolutely terrifying. You know, especially as a child, you don't have your family. You don't know any of the people you're interacting with. You, you're thankful for the small things like being warm, you know, um, and being safe. Although it didn't always feel safe, that that first hostel I had to be locked into my room to be protected from the other residents. That's terrifying. You don't know what's happening on the other side of that door.
1: Incredibly frightening. And she talked about that for her, getting pregnant with her son Liam at the age of 14 changed everything. She studied, did grinds and got her qualifications.
0: How do you think you did turn your life around so... Rapidly and you've written this book because you, you want to show how people can so easily fall through the cracks.
11: Yeah. 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 Um I suppose that was the reason I wrote it is this concept of the one good adult, right? And how they can have this huge impact in someone's life. Like, for example, if Shelley hadn't walked me back and forth to the hostel, like I could have gotten hooked on drugs, right? God knows what could have mm. happened to me. And I've come across so many kids in care who that did happen to. If the woman, Margaret, in the homeless hostel hadn't motivated me to um, go to school when I was, didn't want to go to school because I was embarrassed of where I was going home to with makeup, I would have dropped out of school and I wouldn't have been able to go back So I would have missed too much school. Which again happens to a lot of kids in care. If they, if Kira and Alan hadn't converted the care home into a mother and baby home, I might have had my baby taken away from me. I might not have learned how to be a mom. I might not have had the support that I needed. I might not have been in a situation where I was able to stay in school. So I suppose it's just people who are in, in these positions, it's very much trying to tell this story to say, this is what happens when you try and support people. This is what happens when you treat them with empathy and you see them as human beings.
1: The mightily impressive Deborah Samorin with Miriam. Back in a bit. Welcome back. In radio terms, silence is dead air. But on Arena on Thursday night, superstar Russian violinist Maxim Vengerov and Sean talked about the importance and power of just that. All prompted by a story involving composer Shostakovich and cellist Slava Rostropovich.
3: When uh, Slava was still a student, in the middle of the night, uh, Shostakovich calls him and says, "Slava, you know, I need to tell you something very important. Please come over, come over." And so, you know, uh, Slava took a taxi and you know rushed to his uh, apartment. uh, uh, Enters his apartment, Slava, sit down, sit down here. And he poured uh, fifty grams of vodka for Slava. And he he drank the whole glass, so you know he would uh, drink uh, one glass and then he was free for the rest of the evening. <laughs> so, and then, it, and then he wasn't saying anything. And Slava wondered, you know, what is it about? So they sat for fifteen minutes in total silence, uh, which for young men like Slava, he was in his early uh, late twenties, you know, it was eternity. Finally. Uh, Slava uh, Shostakovich exhaled and said, Slava, I feel so much better. Thank you very much for coming. <laughs> but he needed to share a company and this silence uh, and presence of someone that he admired being a you know, younger talent meant something to him.
1: But for so many, silence is frightening. And for a musician, you might think particularly so.
3: I always um, try to convey to my students that uh, we don't only uh, play when we play, but when there are pauses, when there is a silence, that's also music. And that is important because in this silence, uh, we share with audience a magnificent moment. We sort of, we create the illusion that the time has stopped And that happens, you know, with the greatest composers, uh, Shostakovich beat Prokofiev. Bach has a lot of silence. And I will tell a story about you playing Bach. And this is
2: maybe 20 years ago. You played with the Irish Youth Orchestra in Limerick. In fact, I was working with RT Lyric FM at the time. You played a concert. I can't remember the concerto you played. I remember it'd be very good. And I remember you coming out to do your encore. And the encore was a piece of Bach. And I remember the moment, it was maybe two minutes long not much longer but a little bit of a partita I would guess you stopped it I mean it was just this long melody line that lasted 2 minutes and there was an a silence of at least 30 if not 40 seconds when you ended that encore and then the whole place <laughs>
3: erupted you know so
2: the silence the silence works in 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 many ways but I I still
3: remember that encore and the greatest examples of silence when we need silence in music is that when people can associate um, themselves with music and music reflects their souls. So, you know, sometimes when we close eyes, our eyes and uh, listen to music and uh, we take when inhale this beauty or whatever there is, we it, it will influence us next day one way or another. And in some cases, 20 years later, you'll still remember yes. the moment of silence. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs>
1: so what a lovely thought and staying in the world of music albeit of a different hue US rapper Coolio died this week at the age of 59 And in the middle of all the tributes a rumour circulated whispered in the corridors of Montrose Surely not Perhaps Jonathan Smith, a friend of Coolio's, could confirm or deny. Um, we got a text in
2: there. Did you see the footage of Coolio on RT Afternoon Noon TV on Marty Whelan's show, Open House? I think it was a booking mistake. They had to use studio staff and hoodies as back dancers. Very funny. Now, there is a story that does the rounds here, Jonathan. I don't know if you're familiar with it and you might be able to shed some light on it. Coolio was booked and arrived and somebody on the team, I think the senior producer when he started doing Gangster Paradise he was going could he not do Begin to Begin <laughs> I so, can't help you with that one
13: right he's, he's, okay. he thought he'd booked Amazing, Jul- he thought he'd
2: booked Julio Iglesias and he'd he'd they'd booked Coolio. so um, lost in translation that's the story <laughs> that does the rounds I don't know if it's true but it's, it's it's one of those ones isn't it could be urban legend I don't know could be urban well, legend but as a well known man said to me once never let the truth come the way of a good story there you go there you go there you go <laughs>
1: But drive time, straight in, no messing, direct to the source.
6: Over there, so, really, show the CD. This is the CD, by the way. It's called El Cool Magnifico. And as he gets himself ready over there <laughs> to perform this now, we have a number of our own crew, open house crew, we could call them, including DJ Jadzi Liz, is over there, and the rest of them, and Mark Arso. Ladies and gentlemen, it is Coolio and Ghetto Square Dance. <laughs> um,
5: Check it out indeed. That's uh, 2002 at um, Open House and Orty. Marty Whelan, you're very welcome to Drive Time. Comic, it's a great pleasure.
1: <gasps> it was real. So, what exactly had gone down?
13: about it this story is that is that people always said that we made a mistake you know that we didn't know who we who we were voting on and we had to know full well who we were voting on what we didn't bank on was the need for dancers that was where the staff came in. <laughs> God bless them lovely Liz and Mark and the rest of them and they did a great job. they were in the shadow just in case people would spot them but they were well <laughs> spotted <laughs> um,
11: and, and, and tell me because I, I watched the clip today I have to admit I hadn't seen it before, but yeah, it yeah. is really if anyone has not seen it. Check this out and watch it to the end, actually, because I'd say Liz is is the lady in red, is she? She certainly is. Okay, she she gets to dance at the end directly with him?
13: Yes, of course. And has dined off it ever since, I expect. Um, I'm sure she has. Yeah, but he was but he was gorgeous, and, and my memory is that he was just a really nice guy, and it was no big deal. He kind of came in did his thing, and away he went. And we, I mean, afternoon television, the old gangster rap on afternoon TV. I'll tell you, that's the way forward.
1: But no one was getting themselves Marty Coolio, not necessarily what springs to mind.
13: What was interesting about him was that he, he, he came along and he was full of chat and no issue. In other words, he sat on the couch beside me. And, we, you know, let's be honest about it, Niamh could have been cooking a casserole five minutes earlier.
1: Yeah, That's yeah, the yeah,
13: mad yeah. thing about it. Yeah.
1: But Sarah, more than a little obsessed
11: with this aspect. Um, I, I just want to get back to the backing dancers because I Look just you, can't. <laughs> I just, I just, I'm trying to, I'm trying to imagine this happening today, right? Yeah. Where Coolio yeah. arrives in, or someone Abizal yeah. arrives in, yeah. and he doesn't have backing well, dancers, and yeah. we ask our production team to just step up, and they do, and they but go to the wardrobe that, to get cool clothes.
13: But Bridget and the rest of the in wardrobe are, are gotten organised and get the clothes, the appropriate outfits to wear, so that they can add a bit of glitter to, to this man's
1: performance. I think I think they were fantastic. Ooh, striking the fear of God into team drive time, I suspect. Or maybe not. On Monday, Oliver was in for Rhine.
5: Now I have a machine gun.
1: Ho, ho, ho. Or is that diehards Hans Gruber? But all of this because Oliver had been reading madly deeply the diaries of the late Alan Rickman. A great read, he'd said. And of course... He had to do, dev.
5: He writes in his diary that night, 22nd of August, 1994, He's writing this because we're filming it ahead of the release of Mike Collins, obviously. Two minutes in one of the cells, I'm starting to get anxious. What must it have been like? They were all so proud to die. They knew when it was coming, what it was for. This is beginning to feel like something I just have to hand myself over to. Hidden forces are very strong.
1: But of course, 51551. People, opinions, fingers, texts.
5: Somebody's here. said very unkindly, suggested my Alan Rickman impression needs work. Oh, I should read this. I should read this message, actually, as Alan Rickman. Oliver, your Alan Rickman impersonation needs work. With respect, you sounded like Jim Carrey in the role of the Grinch, says Deck in Dublin. Yeah, okay, thanks, Deck. I mean I've only attempted it for the first time this morning but um, you know I'm quite upset about that actually I just something in my eye and uh, someone else says great Alan Rickman thanks for... that must be John texting in this is just saying nice things the team are looking at me all sadly now they feel that I'm, I'm quite deflated I am not deflated my Alan Rickman is perfect I forgot to do shouty Alan Rickman and cancel Christmas
1: Meanwhile, on Claire Byrne, in an intro worthy of the big screen, NASA's DART spacecraft successfully smashed into a distant asteroid at supersonic speed in an exercise designed to help avoid future doomsday collisions with Earth. As if we didn't have enough to worry about. Claire spoke to Frances McCarthy, education and outreach officer at Blackrock Castle Observatory. But first, she played this reaction from NASA's control room.
11: Oh my goodness! Eight, yeah. seven,
14: oh, six, wow. five, four, three, two, one. Oh my
7: gosh!
12: <gasps> oh wow! A waiting visual
6: confirmation. All right. We got it. Waiting. And we have and impact. We have- Humanity in the name of
0: planetary defense we have impact, Francis. Dart hit its target. Was that what you were expecting? <laughs> I'm not sure if you've seen the pictures, but I, I just I'm <laughs> glued to them. so this this is um um a little a little spacecraft called Dart that's entire job was go hit an asteroid. This is a pair of asteroids, a bigger one and a little one. So there's Didymos, the big one, and Didymorphos, or as NASA were calling it earlier, the Didy Moon, which I quite like. <laughs> so this little asteroid, they deliberately drove into on purpose at 22,000 kilometres an hour. Excellent. So they weren't just strolling up to it to try to land on it. It was a deliberate, if we hit this really fast, Can we affect its orbit? Because one asteroid is going around the other, so we can see, have we changed and changed the position of it? And that will track with our ground-based telescopes. And whacking an asteroid? Not as easy as you might think. I mean, this is 11 million kilometres away, and you're hitting something 163 metres across. You're not able to do that in real time. They weren't driving the spacecraft they were relying on the spacecraft to orient itself and adjust its propulsion and aim at its target. So there is going to be a little bit of a, I wonder, did it actually hit or did we just miss? Given that we've managed to miss planets in the past, hitting an asteroid is excellent.
1: Top marks then in asteroid punching. And for the week that's in it, we might need a bit of excellence. That was Francis McCarthy with Claire. So we are almost at a finish. Budgets to make ends meet, inflation, energy, and all the other many calamities swirling around. Let's finish with a man who we might think of as peak curmudgeon Dylan Moran, an unlikely source of light.
2: Yeah, are you hopeful for. Yes. About everything. Yes. All oh, right. Yes, I am. Uh, that's. It, it sounds like you're faking it till you make it. There. The, no. No, you've thought no, it through, and you I'm are not. hopeful for everything.
15: I'm not faking it. I can't, no, yeah. You can't fake hope. It doesn't oh, really carry. Doesn't it? Not? No.
2: Right. So you are hopeful. Yes, for, I am. Yeah. For everything. Yeah, yes, yeah, I am. Our future. Yes. Your kids' yes, future. Everything. I am. Yeah.
15: And it's important to be so. Yeah. Because if you're not, you're going to try less. So get hopeful. Get up. Get hopeful. Have a look at it.
2: Do it. Right. Right. I, I love you. I love the new Dillamorn. I know it's the same Dillamorn as before, it is but, the it, same one, but it's I'm slightly afraid. different now, in fairness. It's well, sort of an older, wiser, mellower. We have a
15: crisis around us. In every direction, every horizon you look at is wrinkling. Yes. You know, so what are you going to do? Get into a box or say, let's go for a walk. Let's have a look at this. Yeah.
2: Be hopeful. Yeah. Right. Step out. We got this. We got this, man. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. <laughs> Uh, I'm gonna give myself a clap in the back. <laughs> it's, it's a pity we've a minute to go because we couldn't just ended on that. That would have been just <laughs> brilliant comic timing, but unfortunately. <laughs> Um,
15: yeah. yeah. Uh, well, there you go. You see, we got this, but it is a bit awkward. You know what yeah. I mean? It's always a bit awkward. We do have. We do. It is. In, I'm hopeful, but I'm not saying it's easy or it's all going to be nice. It's not. Clearly not. No. Right? Look at the world right now. It's in convulsions. But we have to be hopeful. We have to turn up because I will tell you what. There's nobody else. The squirrels aren't going to turn around and go. I've got an idea. I,
2: I'm, I think I'm reading too many books at the moment. Yeah. Then, stop. Stop all that yeah, nonsense. Yeah, Get yeah, up I'll, and shake your arse. Yes, I will. Do you want to leave me in a little bit of? <laughs> Cheek transferal is that what you call it? <laughs> you know what I do every morning. This what is what do you do. I, I stand on one leg and close yeah. my eyes. Yeah. Yeah, have you, have you tried that? Yeah. Yeah, yeah it's, it's, it's very it's, good. That's living,
1: man. <laughs> well that's brilliant. Well that is it from this week's playback. Thank you for listening. Talk to you next week. And yes, you do get the memo. It's time to shake it.
3: Simple brand new. Simple brand new. It's brand new.